0: Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. Welcome, I'm Ross Lauder, your host from Single Focus Talent. Today we are joined by Michael Cronin of Cronin & Company, uh, director of uh, a city centre-based accountancy practice that really gets to the nuts and bolts of um, how you go about setting in Ireland when you come here for the first time. Um, As our listeners will know from prior shows, one of our top topics is definitely tax. It's talked about as an advantage of coming to Ireland, but we haven't really gone into the weeds on that topic. So I really wanted to get down to the bottom of it and talk about why it is people make that decision uh, very much from a financial perspective. So this is not my area of expertise, which is why I've brought Michael on today's show to really go through with our listeners how they can take advantages of, of Ireland as a platform to sell into the rest of EMEA. And we're going to talk about some of the topics that are quite uh, newsworthy at the minute, but also some of those functional fundamentals that you need to have in place in order to um, be compliant, etc. And, and really leverage this as a platform. So welcome to today's show, Michael.
1: Ross, thanks very much for having me on. Delighted to be here, or well, socially distancing and remotely here. Thanks for having me.
0: Indeed, absolutely. Our pleasure. Uh, I suppose all of our podcasts tends to be socially distanced in the main. So uh, I think we were we're discussing earlier before the call around um, how uh, we're forever changed as a result of this kind of pandemic. But um, in in any case, let's crack on. I'm curious to hear just from your own perspective, if you would introduce your own career, uh, what's brought you to kind of where you've been so far uh, to help the kind of companies you help at the minute?
1: okay um so i am a trained accountant uh, working working in practice as you mentioned Um i i originally trained in practice then i spent a number of years in industry and um, in a software company then from that i went back into as a lot of people may, may refer to as a, as a vocation into practice accounting practice accounting Um so back into 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 practice now and um, with I suppose it's it's originally a family a family firm, and um, I suppose over the years we've uh, we've always worked with uh, companies starting up, either indigenous Irish firms or companies coming into Ireland uh, to 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 establish a new arm in their business. So it's um you know it's an area that we're we're, we're really in, uh, excited by. Uh, there's really interesting challenges, and uh, I suppose opportunities as well for companies coming in here, and it's it's lovely to go on the journey with with our clients um, when they're when they're establishing, taking those first steps and
0: leaps into, into new markets. Okay, okay. Uh, so like, from my perspective, uh, I suppose the question I'd have is like, what triggers people to take that first step? I mean, you may hear people go, well, we're an American company, we wanna use our US entity. Why would people choose to set up an Irish entity? And we're obviously a fully fledged member of the European Union, have been for a long time. And uh, contrary to some, uh, misbelief there is uh, a very big distinction between the Republic of Ireland and the United Kingdom, and after brexit we are firmly saying in, in the European Union and that will will continue but maybe if you would share with us why is it people need to set up an Irish entity and maybe what is the kind of critical mass these companies reach before they do that uh, it's,
1: I, you know we found that there's never there 's never I suppose a, uh, a set trigger point for us that that will will um, Bring an Irish or bring a bring a US company into Ireland. It, it tends to be that their their market has grown. They've already identified that they need to expand or need to get a foothold in Europe, right? So their focus turns to Europe, and ultimately, where do they set up in Europe? Right. And we spoke um, before we came on just about you know the kind of three the three T's of uh, establishing the, 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 their operations and and. You know, the three T's being tax, talent, and tradition. So what, what we've found is is a lot of US companies, they will they will I suppose, be led by by the larger multinationals, the Googles, the Facebooks, that are already here. And and it's really a case of they if it's good enough for them, it must be good enough for us. Uh, the the Irish tax obviously system is is relatively straightforward. And you know, on the very high level is really beneficial for corporations setting up here with, you know, the 12 and percent tax rate, which is always a topical area. So I suppose that, that triggers the initial suppose, focus for U S companies coming into Ireland. So, so when they actually then, you know, select Ireland as, as a base to, to look at setting up, I think one of the things then it, it becomes rather operational softer things rather than the financial, aspect is that, you know, there's, there's, there's a huge talent pool here in Ireland. You know, we've, we've, we've some of the the most talented, uh, particularly in in the tech sector, Um, there's massive talent there uh, coming out of universities, you know, either universities or coming in from other EU countries into Ireland to work within these uh, multinationals and, you know, startup companies as well as a great, there's a great startup culture in Ireland. So so the, the talent pool, and then, um, the, that coupled with the the tax incentives and tax breaks are just a massive draw for for a lot of u.s companies here so that's you know I was where we see it that that's largely the, the, the main reasons that that initial conversation starts and that initial focus starts within ireland
0: okay and um that 12 and percent corporation tax rate you mentioned is obviously very favorable and if i've talked about this on prior shows there are of jurisdictions around the world that have a zero percent corporation tax rate um, which uh, tends to lead to investigations as to why such uh, places are uh, used and there, i've often heard feedback from people saying ireland is a tax haven and i absolutely and utterly refute that because one of the primary criteria for a tax haven is that you have um, secrecy, which we absolutely don't. We're again a fully fledged member of the European Union, and transparency is key in that union. So, um, yeah, sh- and if I, if I could just jump in there as well. Like our, our,
1: our yeah, that's a really good point that you've made there, Ross, because our, like the Irish Revenue Commissioners and um, the equivalent to what's the IRS and, mm-hmm. in the US, they they are, um, they're a very proactive organisation there, and you know they're actually very helpful and engaging for companies coming. In, into Ireland, you know, some people have them pegged as 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 was the uh, uh, the bad guys here, but you know they're 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 not really, and they are very they're very helpful, and um, you know they, there is a lot of um, I suppose uh, communication with other tax jurisdictions, you know. So so on a number of points, I actually you know I, I I think I think we're actually hugely lucky that the the you know with the with the, the taxes and the the Irish revenue here and the exchequer in Ireland. So I think they're 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 an acid if they're used correctly.
0: I would fully agree with that point as well. And um, I see us very much as that halfway house. We have other jurisdictions around Europe that are 25, 30%, etc. And my attitude to that would be um, well, guys, you have the exact same tools uh, in your exchequer uh, as, at your disposal. You know, it's a le- it's an equal playing field. And ironically, we actually collect more corporation tax per head of capital than any other country in Europe as a result of, mm. of our policy. And our, I suppose, play in the world has always been, well, if we lower our corporation tax rate, it'll create jobs. And people having jobs is good for society in general. I've talked about this on multiple podcasts in the past. And uh, second of all, the exchequer will get that revenue returned by way of consumption and payroll taxes as well. So yeah. that's very much our, um, our, our, our mantra, as it were, and our selling point as a country. So I suppose let's say we've made that decision. We're in Silicon Valley. We're a startup. We're well-funded. Um, and we really, really feel that it, we're seeing increasing levels of interest from Europe. Um, I need to set up an Irish entity. Like, what do I do next? How does that process work? What's the equity structure? directors and compliance how do i go about that process if you could share that with us
1: i i'd love to say there's a there's a, there's a one fit for all uh, it's not it's not necessarily the case so you know you really need to look it on a case-by-case basis because there are a number of options on on what way you structure the business what way you structure whether you whether you look at a standalone company here in ireland um that'll that'll it, that, that'll lead on to the decisions that I suppose are coming from your, your, your parent company or your, the U S entity. Do you set up a standalone single Irish company? Do you set up a group structure and um, do you set up a branch operation here in Ireland? And, um, and then based on each of those decisions that you go down, so say you have those three routes, uh, one being uh, a standalone company, one being a, a subsidiary, or group style structure, or the third being a branch operation, then based on those decisions, they're gonna lead you down different avenues of what you need to do next and the steps you need to take. So, you know, really if you're, if you're looking at making this decision, that's where you need to kind of have the conversation or start having the conversation with a professional advisor or, um, you know, professional services company to, to tease out, what is the best route and best the, the, the best option for you for you and your business?
0: Okay, so so let's let's uh, run through a scenario. I mean, I'm for example, I'm a limited company, I'm an Irish entity, and um, I'm very much kind of in that SME sector as well, and, and that structure suits me. As um, there is also a holding structure uh, you can have above that when you want to repatriate sure. profits and you want to yeah. um, invest in other vehicles where you wouldn't tax, um, and I'm, I'm very aware of that as well. But I suppose. The problem you'll have then later is if, of, of what you're, I'm imagining you're alluding to is stamp duty and different levels of that in order to get another company uh, as part of another. But let's assume a scenario of a LLC from the U.S., which yes. is likely to go public in the next number of years. And they have decided to set up an Irish entity. Um, I suppose those decisions uh, to do ownership structures, as you mentioned, would be governed by the level of revenue you wanted to make. And secondly, what you want to do with those funds. So, for example, I know that uh, when Microsoft purchased LinkedIn, they actually used a a, a substantial amount of revenue uh, that was held overseas um, and then borrowed the difference. And the reason that they did that was that tax in the US would have been perclusive to have that transaction happen there. So they used an Irish entity to buy that and used the, uh, and borrowed money against the cash they had in the bank because the interest rate was less than the tax they would have paid in the US. So I yeah. suppose maybe if you could just share with us, how what, what and again, I totally appreciate not a one-size-fits-all, but maybe a scenario or two you've encountered where it's that type of, um, maybe it's a Silicon Valley startup, they're moving here, they're growing, they're probably at between fifty and you know one hundred and fifty million dollars, and they really see Europe as adding you know another fifty percent to that. What structure might work, yeah. for them, or what examples could you share from your experience? I, in a case like that, I mean, something that's scaling to that size, you
1: you're, you really want to look at a subsidiary, you know, where it's either either fifty plus percent held by the parent operation because ultimately you're trying to break into the European market using Ireland as uh, your European base, right? Or your stepping stone into, into the European market. So really what you're looking at there is um, a subsidiary, a subsidiary style um, group structure so that if there is repatriation of funds, any eh, that you're, you're, you're actually avoiding any major uh, tax implications because you're not, you're, you're moving funds within, within your group structure. And um, so, you can ultimately move actually the cash reserves of that back into your, your US density. Now you will be liable for for corporation tax um, on the profits that are generated in Ireland and, and and across Europe, right in the European market. You um now you may have depending on on again where where I mentioned earlier the you know the Irish tax system uh, is relatively straightforward. And um, now don't get me wrong, like any tax structure, it's got it's got in intricities and 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 um, you know uh, finer detail and small print it's it doesn't tend to be um it, it's it's we've got one tax structure for for ireland and it ties into the european tax structure whereas in the us look as you as you know and a lot of i suppose your 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 listeners and companies you know you've got state taxes you've got federal taxes and um, you know it, it it can vary depending where you are in the states so um within ireland it's it's it, it's it is it is simpler right in that respect so if i was a us company coming in like you mentioned i would definitely be looking at the uh the, the, the subsidiary style structure um and then again it depends on on what the plans are whether you um you know you, you want to become hopefully as everybody does the next unicorn co- company or you know whether it's um it's just a break into that european market and and, and continue to scale across
0: okay and um that's helpful for sure i suppose you mentioned there a point that i picked up on which was um over 50 percent equity uh held by the u.s parents so um, that's allowed under irish law uh, we're very friendly towards um foreign ownership etc could you maybe just share with us some of the ownership structures and obligations you know in terms of the company law piece and and what those kind of splits look like if you would um, well, you,
1: as I mentioned earlier on, the, the, the
0: ownership piece.
1: what we found is that some people have come in. Depending now, if they're if they're really at the, the the startup stage, they may look, and it's it it is an owner manager startup rather than, um, you know, and they're, they're really trying to scale, and it. it's it's you know one to five million, maybe ten million turnover that they're asked that. You might have one individual who's actually in the driving seat of it, and they may look at holding all the shareholding. They they have a specific reason that they want to have just their Irish entity separate from the U S and maybe at a later stage doing a, a, a reorg um, of the business and moving the shareholder into, into a parent company and creating that group structure. So, you know, we found that that, that, that happened, that's happened in the past with clients um, and ultimately they ended up with that subsidiary structure. Um, it, it it, it's a very, um, I suppose it's it, it's just that there is there is so many different scenarios. The branch operation um, isn't something that te- people tend to lean towards because uh, what you're ultimately doing in that case is you're just you're you're nearly using Ireland as a cost structure or a cost centre for the business rather than um, a standalone entity, um, either in or out of the group structure. In that case, then you if you are to hire employees, you. you you technically have to get your, your US company to register employee taxes and the corporate tax, uh, well not corporate taxes, because everything, but but for uh, for VAT and for PAY, you will have to register the US entity, which just makes it a bit more difficult, particularly if you're using, if you're, you're, your reporting is in the US and you're using the US financial services company, they then have to become, I suppose, either outsourced to, a, to an Irish, financial services company or else they will have to, um, you know, they will have to be up to speed with, with Irish legislation. So you've got, you know, kind of a messy situation with that. So I I, wouldn't, uh,
0: I, guess, I guess you want to, the, 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 the ideal uh, from a high level would be allows you the greatest flexibility uh, based on all of the information that you have right now, you know, in terms yeah. of um, uh, Do I have, if I'm that person, do I have any obligations to have an Irish director or equity partner locally? um
1: an irish an irish company does have to technically have or sorry an eu director right now there is a bond that can be put in place now this is more around corporate secretary not my necessarily my my area but um i know philip uh, in our office here is head of our cosec department he um he 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 can bring me up to speed on it but uh you do have to have a, a an eu Re- resident director, right, as distinct from uh, an Irish resident director, obviously now being being a member of the EU. So, if, if you don't have that, you can put a bond in place with the company's office, right? I am I'm not sure what the value of the bond is, but it's a couple of thousand euros, so that that you can actually potentially trade with uh, a US registered uh, director. And um, under the new the, the new Companies Act 2014, Companies Act, you can have a corporate body secretary. As um, as your company secretary, who who can be uh, a nominated again, professional services firm can can provide that service for you. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to have an Irish registered secretary either. So you you know there is ways to get around um, the the you know having an actual Irish presence as such. Okay, okay. Um, because that's that that tends to be like Ross. That tends to be one of the questions that. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned, that's one of the questions that, that we find, you know, people looking to set up, U.S. individuals looking to set up in Ireland, they come in and and, and they're, they're worried that they don't have a presence here, they don't have, I suppose, a trusted individual to go down as a director or secretary and, and form that company structure here in Ireland. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be the case because what they sometimes look to do is, well, you know, we've earmarked that we're going to get four or five employees, in this new company and maybe i will ask one of those to go on as, the Irish, as a director and that's not something that needs to be done. You know, And I don't yep. think it's necessarily fair to ask, you know, potential potentially a new hire to take on that sort of responsibility.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Now that's, that's a key point actually. And that's a very helpful piece of revised legislation that's come in that'll allow further levels of flexibility. So that's, a, I think a key point. You, um, you mentioned there uh, about VAT uh, and for our listeners not familiar with, it, it stands for value added tax. Although I don't know why, cause I don't see the value it adds, quite frankly, but <laughs> for another, another day, um, can Absolutely. explain to us what that is and when that applies? VAT um, is,
1: is, it's effectively the sales tax in the U S or form of sales tax. Um, and again, it's, it's, uh, we've got varying rates here in Ireland. Um, it, it, it's basically the it's a tax charge on the, the supply of goods and services. Right, in short, is effectively what it is. Right, the VAT rates here in Ireland we've twenty three percent is your standard VAT rate. Your reduced VAT rate is thirteen and a half percent, and then your uh, you know you, you have a zero rate um, and an exempt rate for for certain certain products. But you know for for software uh, the majority well not even software for the majority of products and services, 23% is, is the VAT rate here in Ireland, which is, is charged on goods on and services.
0: Now, if I'm an Irish company, um, from my own experience, the Irish market is a, a 12th the size of the UK. Um, and quite honestly, we don't sell a lot indigenously in this country. We more sell into the bigger markets like the DAC, the Germany, Austria, Switzerland and um, the, the, the central European markets and the UK. And obviously with Brexit, that, that, that has its own implications. But why is it that when I sell to those entities, I actually don't charge VAT on my services as a software industry? It's- it,
1: again, it falls under, um, you know, your your the, the, the EU legislation and VAT uh, with the inter inter community um, transactions within the EU, the, the European Union, Union, right? So, with that, if you're selling business to person, right, you you technically will charge VAT on display goods and services. But if you're charging business to business to, or to a, a, a business that is a VAT registered business, then the supply is, is exempt from VAT. This thing called the reverse charge rule, which is put in place. So it's it's effectively self-accounted on on the uh, on the purchaser side. They self-account for the the, the VAT, the VAT input and the VAT out, um, output. So you 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 effectively it's 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 not that you're 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 effectively zero-rating goods. You're just not charging the VAT to business registered customers. Right? If you are charging, if, if your Irish entity is selling outside of the European Union, then again, um, you, you, there, there, there's, no, there's no VAT charge to uh, the likes of, of uh, a US, well, sorry, not a US company, not a US company, send a US company, or um, if you're selling into Asia, again, the, um, it's uh, it's a VAT exempt sale. So.
0: Yeah. And that, I guess that would apply to countries that are European countries, but not necessarily in the European Union. So uh, my own experience has been that uh, of the software multinationals I've worked for, they've always sold B2B in the main. And I've um, yes. yeah. never charged VAT. as a result of that. And and, and just for our yeah. listeners as well, it's, it's important to note that you would also incur VAT charges on, on products that you buy and services that you incur locally. So that can be squared against um, a net right. when you're processing a return. So if I have uh, charged 10 grand worth of VAT in this particular period, but I've incurred 2.5K, then I have an obligation of a net of seven and a half and it's just it's it's the way to think of it is it's not your money it's money that you're collecting on behalf of the government so from a cash flow perspective it's a very neutral yeah you know, like a transaction it, 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 i think the key
1: there what you said is cash flow it, it 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 really is um you know it's not whenever whenever a business is looking at um I suppose profit and loss it's all it's all excluding vat because um Really, you're 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 collecting on a, on behalf of the revenue or the extractor, and you're passing it on at a later stage. So, it, it's just the timing of when it's paid, right? Um, so, it, it's really something that could be should be considered in cash flow because the way, I suppose, it's reported here in Ireland is you're either you're either you either return your VAT filings on a bi-monthly, quarterly, or annual basis, right? Depending on on what you elect for. Okay. So. For argument's sake, if you if you have sales VAT on sales for January and February, that won't be paid and filed until March, right? The twenty third of March, right? Um, paid on or before the twenty third of March, uh, and then that's if you're bi monthly, if you're annual, then you um you may be on a on a standard direct debit, paying it off, and then um you fi- you the actual return is filed and if there is any balance or potential refund to be squared off from the payments that you've made throughout the year, that all has to be filed and completed by the 23rd of January, the following year so.
0: Okay, so that's the key point. I mean, as a business owner, I'm very familiar with the bi- bi-monthly uh, filings, every third uh, month for the prior two months, for sure, on collected payments. What are the implications of failing to file that return from your own experience? And can you maybe share with us a story or two of, assumptions that were made or maybe just it was genuinely forgotten about what are the kind of implications there from a revenue standpoint in terms of chasing people etc
1: okay so uh, i suppose one of one of the one of the big problems we actually see initially is um companies set up here in ireland they they set up their entity whether you know it's it's uh, standalone or or it's group or whatever it may be and they set up here in ireland they register with taxes and they 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 do all those steps and Ross and they and and they they do all those, I suppose the, the hard yards and the initial setup and then they forget about the filings they forget um, they're not aware of their filing requirements right and then what tends to happen is is um, whether they have I suppose a an actual physical office here or they have a PO box or um, you know a, a, set, a separate registered office. It might be another number of months before they actually get the correspondence from the Revenue to say that they haven't met their filing requirements. I see. Now, I suppose the fear that that um, everybody has then is is uh, you know it, there's initially there's interest in penalties on on non-filing a late payment, right? Um, so it's interest in penalties. And um, and then ultimately I suppose if you're if you're non-compliant for long enough, you, you also run the risk of uh you know revenue investigation or revenue audit, right? Um, which is I suppose there's never really a situation that you want to find yourself in. Mm-hmm. But I, again I go back to what I what I mentioned at the very start. Like we are very, very fortunate here with the Irish Revenue Commissioners. They are very helpful and they're they're understanding um so, like, what I would say and what we found from our experience, if a client has found themselves in that situation or they come to us and they, they're in that situation, the first thing we do is communicate with the Irish Revenue Commissioners, right? Um, we engage with them, we, we contact them, we outline the situation, and then we work with the client to, uh, to get the records up to date, all right? Um, you, get the, you get your filings, everything up to date, and then, um, you know, I suppose then, it, then it's, it, the focus turns on to the actual the, the, the client themselves and what sort of procedures or operating policy they need to put in place to ensure that they don't miss those filings again, whether they're going to look after it internally or whether they're going to engage with our services or services of, of another professional firm to, uh, to look after that for them. But that's, that's one of the, 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 the big problems we see with the initial setup is they, they do the hard yards and then they forget about the, uh, the ongoing right, day-to-day Okay. Uh, so, okay. so that's that's definitely um, an issue we found. Uh, another case, uh, I I had um, a company here that that they were selected for uh, a revenue revenue query or revenue an aspect query, um, which potentially can evolve into a, a revenue audit. And um, the revenue had selected VAT as as the query point because. They they wanted to understand why the company <coughs> hadn't been charging VAT, and they wanted to ultimately see who they'd been billing um on returns. And again, it it, it it was a case of they came out to the to, to the premises of the of the company. Um, they interviewed the directors. We went through the business model, the, the, the process of of what they did, what they didn't do, and um, it was a case of them looking at the invoicing system, who they were billing their major customers. And that was satisfactory for the revenue. They they were happy then with with um, what they saw, how things were filed, how things were prepared, and um, you know th- th- there was no issue. So again, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be worried about um, you know it's it's not a situation you want to find yourself in dealing with the Irish Revenue, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be losing sleep over if you find yourself in that position because like if you if you work with them. And are transparent and helpful, there shouldn't be a major issue off the back, right? You, you know, sometimes there is. You have to put your hand up if you haven't done something. You may be liable for interest and in penalties, and um, but to mitigate those again, it's it's communication and engagement. I would agree. Can stress that enough?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's key. And from my own experience with them, um, if you do engage them, they're very cooperative. And um, if you admit to a mistake, there's a usually a penalty of uh, I think it's three percent. Um, for for your first offence, as it were, but if you're in any yeah. way curting uh, them or you're being um, non-transparent, as it were, the penalties. Get yeah, hundred um, percent. And just and just simply difficult. And 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 the 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 penalties the penalties um,
1: employed by revenue are mitigated dependent on the circumstances. Whether it's um, you know, there was intent to to, to mislead, whether you know, um, whether it was not matter whether it was just a clerical error. So you know. Again, engaging with them and, and making them aware of how you arrived at a situation, good, bad, or indifferent, is, is, is crucial to that. The interest element that they charge um, is fixed. So there's no, there's no kind of um, interest and in surcharges. There's no sort of movement in that area. So if you don't file a VAT return and there is a liability on it, you will be hit with a 10% surcharge, right, potentially on them. Um, on that or or you know if there's a corporation tax return as well as be hit with, with your 10% surcharge and, and um,
0: there's a uh, there's no kind of getting around that so uh, that's just you know, it's I suppose it's awareness at the beginning and having a trusted partner that can guide guide you through it like yourselves in in the whole yeah. process and um, I think from um, our discussions there we were obviously talking around corporation tax and that allows more cash to be available to um, hire people. So let's kind of dive into that, uh, what our US counterparts will be familiar with as payroll taxes. Could you maybe just um, take us through the payroll tax system as it applies here in, in an Irish context?
1: Okay, um, PAYE, pay as you earn, uh, is, is, is affected a system that, that the majority of, you know, Ross, like you're pretty aware of it with your, with your own business um is is the the system or the, the the phrase that that you'll hear or revenue referred to as prem right um the effectively the tax system in ireland we tax employees at source um there's effective rate of twenty percent up to a cut off band in around thirty thirty eight thousand anything above the thirty eight thousand is charged at forty percent um and then uh, on top of that we have the universal social charge which again, is staggered at various rates, uh, 0.5%, uh, 2% and, and, and up, and that caps out at about 8%. We then have uh, employers' PRSI um, and employers' PRSI, which uh, the employers' PRSI is, is is around 11%, and the employees' PRSI is at 4%. So effectively, as as an employee, you... You depending on I suppose your earning capacity you're looking at or or you know you're looking at a, a tax rate, an effective tax rate that caps out here in Ireland at 52%, right? Um which you know is is people I suppose always have a gripe with that because paying over 50% of your of your earnings to taxman doesn't always um you know doesn't always sit too well with people. But that's just that's the system we have. Um, it's uh, the, the employer then, and, and from an employer perspective, as I mentioned, that's all taxed at source and, and processed through the, the the company payroll system or the company payroll tax. Um, the requirements that the, the company itself have then there are monthly filings under the PAY modernization system uh, or PMOD, which you... Uh, Effectively, again, if you if you are running payroll, monthly payroll for the month of January, that is due to be filed then. Um, so on a real time basis now, whereas previously it was it was, again, the 23rd of every month. It's now moved under PMOD to a real, real time situation. So as you pay your employees, you should be returning that information to Revenue, right, and um, giving details of how much effectively you've been paid and stopping the tax then on that and ultimately paying them. And the the taxes stopped. So, um, again, like the the payroll system, it it it's not. I don't want to say it's not overly complicated. It's it it can it could be slightly confusing for for I suppose um an employee looking at a payslip and all these different deductions, but or an employer looking at a wages report, seeing all these deductions, but. They are relatively standard and and, and uh, the same every month. So you know, once you get a, a good understanding of it, it's um, you know, it, it it is relatively straightforward, right? Um, and transparent for, uh, you know, any company setting up here.
0: Okay, okay. So that's um, that's a clear um kind of structure, I suppose. The Takeaway for, for me if you are a US multinational and you're hiring somebody in this country for a hundred thousand euro as a gross salary, it's mm-hmm. going to cost you hundred and eleven thousand euro in actual that's returns. That's so, yeah, they, they,
1: they, because your, your employer's PSI, sorry, which I, I, I mentioned briefly, but I didn't actually mention how it was applied. That that employer's PSI is, is paid by the company on behalf of the employee, so correct the actual cost for employing uh, an individual on the will cost the company 111 effectively.
0: Yes. And that's that what I refer to as the employer PRSI uplift. It's my own internal name. Okay. In part, but yeah, yeah, it's right. just from a budgeting standpoint, I think it's quite relevant and, and we can discuss perks and benefits, et cetera. Um, on another show around healthcare, around gym memberships, around education allowance as well, et cetera. But, um, are there any benefit in kind taxes appropriate for where an employer would pay things like that on their behalf? You know, I suppose BIK, a lot
1: of people talk with that it, 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 benefit in kind, and it always, it always raises its head when people talk about a company car. But, but in effect, benefit in kind is anything that is provided by the employer that is has a has a monetary value attached to it or associated with that's provided by the employer to an employee so um you know you could you could chart bik if there was if they were uh, if they were provided accommodation living living accommodation if there was um you know healthcare does there's, there's, you know there's numerous things that that can attract benefit in kind and effectively there's there's um a value a value placed on it, and then that ultimately is taxed uh, and that 's kind of the, the core of what benefit in kind really is
0: Okay okay, so it's just something to be aware of from a budgeting perspective um, as to uh, a, a factor to consider without a doubt because if you 're looking at an employee and you 're trying to
1: work out what the cost of that of the business is. Um, and you have you have created, I suppose, an employment contract which has a base salary and then has a, new, a number of perks on top of that. You need to you need to understand what the cost of those effectively are and the tax element on that when that's applied. Plus, then, as you mentioned, the peer peer sorry, employer uplift as you uh, as you refer to it as, what that ultimately is is all going to cost. You know, you as the employer. So that you can you can correctly yeah project what your 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 cash flow is going to look
0: like. That's a great point. No, I think that's a very fair, uh, fair uh, thing to uh, discuss because you set the expectation from the beginning. Uh, while it might seem like our uh, rates of income tax are high, that's more of an individual thing. Uh, and to be fair, we're, we're relatively um, comparable with other. Western uh, European countries that are inside and outside the European Union, the majority of them would that have that level of tax. Um, And that's, you know, a political discussion for an entirely different day. But I suppose the point being is that there's a A balance between being able to find highly employable, talented people and operating in a jurisdiction in a very transparent fashion. So it's all very well being in the Caymans paying 0%, but you can't get the languages of German, French uh, that can sell software as a service. These are all kind of factors that play into the, the melting pot of being able to make that decision. So I suppose just from a very operational standpoint, Michael, could we talk a bit about banking and currency and holding US dollars and euros and pounds sterling uh, etc uh, just to, to outline we obviously use the euro we've been in the system since its launch etc could you maybe just share with us how some of your clients operate their banking and what suits them and and obviously dependent on, on fit in each case but maybe share with us some of those details if you would. Um, from our experience what, what what
1: we find tends to happen is that um, our clients were set up with effectively one of the, call it the high street banks here in Ireland, whether it be AIB or Bank of Ireland, for their, their banking facility, for their Irish entity. Now, when they do that, they, they initially will set up a Euro bank account um, as a standard trading account or the current account. Um, and then they will either, in conjunction or tend to follow suit, is uh, they, may say, <coughs> excuse me, they may set up a US dollar bank account as well. All right, um, for the transfer potentially of uh, currency across into into um you know from from the, the the parent company across. Now, really, when it comes to currency uh, movements and that, what we found is the the likes of Currency Fair and a couple of the the the, the style um, currency providers or currency uh, transfer facilitators, they really their their benefit to a company is is massive right the, the rates and ease that they can move currency um, for for the likes of US entities setting up abroad is tends to be f- like the rates are really competitive and the ease of the way it's done is is, is fantastic so I can't I can't to be honest I can't speak high enough of of, of operations like that um, and the benefit that they have to a lot of our to our clients right uh, over they tend to be a lot better than than the um, I suppose the on, I'm sure I said before, talking about the high street banks to say that they, they tend to, to to move a lot quicker and be a lot a lot more user friendly um, for for clients when they're moving kind of large levels of funds. Um, so we find that they're quite beneficial. You've obviously got the the, the likes of the neo banks now starting to um, to, to 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 grow.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's it's been an interesting um, journey when the likes of Revolut, and uh, there are a number of other ones as well, are now setting up business accounts where you can transfer money seamlessly uh, with a, an IBAN. So for our listeners who aren't familiar, it's, it's the uh, standard of international banking accounting number that we would use to transfer uh, across the European Union, uh, certainly. Um, but the indigenous banks themselves or the high street banks Um, are very, very um, profitable in the currency transaction space. And there are more competitive ways of um, uh, transferring to US dollars. But I suppose one of the points that you made there was that uh, it is entirely possible to have a US dollar-based bank account in Ireland, as well as having a sterling bank account uh, in Ireland, as well as some of the other currencies that exist that you might want to to actually sell in into a country, yeah. so for example, Swedish kroner, Swiss francs, etc., where uh, Switzerland is not part of the European Union but an important economy. Sweden is in is in the European Union but uses their own currency still, and and there are a number of different countries that have chosen to do that. Uh, the UK was an example of that, and um, they are now uh, in the process of finalising their exit from the European Union but maintains their currency. So you, it is impossible to hold those. Um, Accounts in an Irish jurisdiction in that respective currency. So, what you might do is you might sell into the UK, uh, you might charge your uh, customers in sterling, keep them in that sterling bank account, but then when you need to repatriate that to US dollars, you might wait and get a good rate from Currency Fair uh, yeah. and bring it across to your US entity. Do I have that about right?
1: You do. No, no. And like that's a, in fairness, to us, it's, it's it's really in depth um, because I, I think some some clients. You know the currency market unless you really know what you're doing i think can be um like it can be a very lucrative place so you, you know there'll be a lot of money made but i think if you don't know what you're doing and, you, and you're looking at, at forward buying or any of this type of stuff it it, it can get i suppose uh, overly complicated and and takes the focus of um a lot of individuals off their core business right and um, so you know uh it's 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 definitely something that i would i we would advise clients to, uh, you know, if they if they are looking to to get um, uh, expert advice on on uh, exchange, you know, currency exchange and, and, and moving to large funds, is definitely yeah, an issue because well, the, the basic operations there's no issue like you said you can you can hold uh, multi-currency bank accounts here from from our indigenous banks in Ireland. There's no issue in that respect. Is actually moving the funds, and that is, is, is the timing of that is, is, is crucial because it can have a massive impact on your PL and in, in currency gains or losses.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I've worked for many multinationals, and I suppose it comes as quite a, a shock uh, to an entity looking to set up here that they're going to be transacting potentially in multiple different currencies. So, mm-hmm. what tends to happen is initially coming from a homogeneous market like the United States. You would only ever be selling into in dollars and then as you move into Europe what you might decide to do is sell in two currencies initially as well as US dollars and that would probably be pound sterling as well as the euro because yeah. they're the biggest and they're the ones that make the most sense and from my own experience the Nordic countries are, are more than happy and um, to buy in US dollars or in euro they're very familiar with it and you know their populations of between five and eight and nine million people and and they just they they're just used to it they, they've done it for, for quite a long period of time and as you become more and more established you will then break out into those respective currencies as and when it makes sense for you as an organization and yeah. one of the key points you, you mentioned there was forward buying so when I worked in Dell one of the most important pieces of news we got uh, in a new financial quarter was what's the dollar hedge rate uh, against sterling so we were selling in into the UK in, in pounds sterling but we were all reporting, and our targets were all done in US dollars. So if we had a very, very strong sterling, happy days. It uh, means we had to sell less product in order to hit our targets. Yeah. If we have a situation where the uh, the the US dollar is stronger, our targets have gone up quite substantially, and we have to sell more product in order to hit our numbers. So that happened on a quarterly basis, and Dell went to the bank and bought a rate that would secure uh, against the um the US dollar on a a quarterly buying basis and meant that no matter what happened to either of those respective currencies, they knew for sure they could execute on that uh, hedge rate uh, in order to repatriate U.S. dollars. So it all depends on your outlook. Some people can buy an annual rate, and, and like anything, that comes with a premium against the current rate. Uh, it's like an insurance policy uh, that you're buying against the fluctuation in the currency, et cetera. Now, things have changed, and um, since I was working in, in Dell, the, the pound, to dollar rate was was two to one almost at one point, you know, we were crazy numbers and because of central banks printing lots and lots of currency and money and and all those sorts of things, again, a political discussion for another day, the rates have somewhat leveled out and euros and dollars and pounds aren't wildly different, uh, certainly not as wildly different as they used to be. But I think a hedge is an important thing that uh, particularly when your company IPOs or is about to IPO you really need certainty, and you need to know that. Um, yeah, but well, I think I think it, when
1: when you get to that scale, if you're looking to IPO, without a doubt, you need to have, um, you know, you need to have a strong understanding around that. When you get to that scale, um, because I, I know from from a number of clients we've dealt with, they, as long as the the rate is relatively good, they'll they'll move funds unless there's a massive variance, they will hold and they'll they'll buy their time and when they. Um, you know when, when they make the decision around currency because it's uh, like look as we actually as we said and, and as you mentioned there it, it can make a massive difference on on sales targets and that so you know for 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 a startup or setup it, it's you know it's it's not always um you know it's it's something that needs to be taken into consideration but um it's 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 a it can be a minefield
0: really like um of, of, of uh, transactions and and there's nothing that markets hate less, uh, hate more rather is uh, is an uncertainty, and um, and and you will always report back to the US entity in, in US dollars. That's just, I mean, it's it's what I've known all my career. But uh, yeah. It's something that we need to kind of translate. And, and again, it's, it's having that conversation uh, around European business and, and maybe adding uh, layers of complexity and, and potentially additional costs. But it's a very lucrative market that would make sense for them to go into in any case. Um, I suppose as we kind of um, progress here, I'm, I'm very keen to uh, talk about a, a topical um item which before COVID 19 was all anyone talked about quite frankly which is brexit and i'm curious on your, <laughs> on your take on that uh what uh yeah. I, I, just, just to be clear for our listeners ireland in no way voted for brexit we are staying in the european union we do have a border with the united kingdom uh, in northern ireland uh, which is cause, which is wide open and, and which will remain wide open but um There's uh, obviously an implication for Irish trade. My sense of it is, is that it really impacts on physical goods that are going through uh, the border in Northern Ireland. And they've said that they will put the border down the Irish Sea. um, And it's a complicated solution that allows for checks on goods going into the United Kingdom um, uh, from a port through the Irish Sea. Um, But I suppose from my own take, I would see it from a software perspective as as beneficial. Any jobs that were potentially going to London may not now as a result of that. Um, you don't require um, a visa to come into Ireland as a European Union citizen. Um, and even after uh, the UK leaves the European Union uh, completely, um, we will maintain what's known as the common travel area between the Republic of Ireland and the United Kingdom for a lot of historical reasons. And uh, we can work and live in each other's countries. However, um, European Union citizens will no longer be allowed to go to the United Kingdom after December of this year uh, to live and work freely without having a job in place etc or visa sponsorship rules of which have still to be decided but i'd be very keen michael on your own personal take on this or maybe what you're seeing in business as a result of brexit
1: yeah like i think you've you've, you've touched on the, the, the major points there really Ross, right um the brexit is is going to ha- have a massive positive and negative impact i think for ireland right um, It's, you know, some people would argue it's kind of crystal ball stuff. But what we found at the moment is there is a lot of uh, UK companies beginning to look at setting up an operation here in Ireland. A lot of US companies then um, may have been deciding whether it's going to be the UK or Ireland to set up in. And now they're all looking at Ireland, um, again, because, you know, you've you've, you've got the free trade market between... The, the european union and um, the the i suppose the talent pool that we talked about that's free to move within with ireland uk or ireland, the, the eu as well so like it's it's becoming for a lot of these subsidiaries and 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 um, uh, companies looking to set up here it's becoming more i suppose favorable and i suppose the scope is narrowed for us as as the last as was english-speaking country in 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 the eu so you know, I think we're we're benefiting in in that respect, and that people are choosing choosing on to come in, set up. Um, now, I think it's going to have a massive impact on, I suppose, our export markets because we do still hugely rely on um, on the on the UK and the trade between the UK. So, if tariffs and um, I suppose duties and that are brought in, that can have a massive impact. But like, it's yet to be seen when when it's all all actually ironed out, and I, I think we, we've a long road ahead of us in, in that respect, but um, in the short term, I think if we can, if we can um, I suppose, benefit by, by those initial startups and those setups coming into Ireland and using Ireland
0: as a stepping stone into the European market, I think it's, it's great. It's great for us. So, um, yeah, I would share that sentiment, and you made another good point there as well around the English language. So uh, we speak our own version of the English language, some might say, but uh, we have historically um, benefited quite greatly as a stepping stone into Europe because uh, it's a common language we share with our North American uh, colleagues, and uh, it makes that uh, business environment uh, conversation much easier you don 't require translation into local to local documents, etc, if it were to be French, German, Italian, uh, yeah. whatever the case may be and I think as the final and only remaining member of uh, the European Union that has English as a first language. Um, I think that will provide further opportunities. But I think um, it's actually strengthened our position a little bit in Europe,
1: uh, on a worldwide perspective, because because of that, we are, I suppose, they call it the the, the the younger brother beside the UK. That that uh, will be, I suppose, the focus for 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 companies to set up set up in and, and move within. Like, you know, we we spoke before Ross before um, about I mentioned there about about the English language and that, and look, I know it's only one point, but I suppose it, they, they're all pieces of the puzzle for, for companies to make that decision to come and take their step into Europe in that it just eases that transition. And um, if there's no, if, if like if the tradition is there that there's, there's multinationals setting up and they're here already, they're established, the tax rate is strong. And um, there's no, there's no, I suppose, uh barrier on language. and. Um, so, the easier we can make it for U.S. companies to come in and set up, the, the better. And I think the Irish government, in particular, are, are 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 so aware that it have been for a long time. You know, with the likes of the IDA and, and uh, the American Chamber of Commerce, all these different you know bodies helping support that that uh, that transition across. I think it's it's. Uh, I think we're a really strong position. I think we've seen it over the last number of years. Um, both in, in large
0: multinationals and then just smaller SMEs coming in. I just, yeah, I would agree with that. And I see that trend being accelerated. And I, I almost think like Brexit in some respects is a catalyst that we kind of need it. Um, yeah, it's I suppose it's a bit like it's a bit like COVID nineteen and, and,
1: and working from home. It's just it's just forced um it's forced a lot of businesses to to implement, I suppose, uh, remote work uh, you know the, the, the change of office space turning an office space into into hot desks and and um, i think we're moving away from a lot of the traditional things due to COVID-19 but i think it's nearly been forced upon us so it's a bit like brexit has has almost forced and sure. um, that that that, that the, the, the you know the decision for for uh, some of you know us or north north american uh, companies to come here which is look you know if we can benefit from it absolutely great and uh you know if if, if the u.s companies then can benefit from it as well I just think it's
0: just again it's it's a win-win for everyone yeah i definitely support that perspective okay well look as we wrap up here uh, i always like uh, asking guests how they define our culture uh, and what i mean by that is what does the crack mean to you c-r-a-i-c <laughs> Uh, the crack,
1: the crack at the moment for the last two months, and uh, the crack as well very for US listeners really is is the um, yeah it's 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 the fun it's the culture it's the it's the another phrase is the banter it's it's um, it, it's just that social interaction uh, in Irish people I have to I have to say the, the crack hasn't been massively exciting in in the last two months between. I suppose Zoom parties on, on a Friday Saturday night to catch up with family and friends, but sure. look in general, um, you know, I think I think uh, Dublin Ireland uh, over the last say ten years is is a phenomenal place. I think uh, in general uh, there's there's a real spirit of, um, of entrepreneurialship, uh, innovation. We've got some really exciting kind of companies. Coming here, setting up, we've got uh, you know a lot of indigenous companies setting up with some really innovative ideas. You've got a lot of government bodies, um, and a lot of people pushing that uh, culture. Then on a on a general social level, it's 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 great. Like the, the the amount of I suppose bars and restaurants offerings that are out there now is just I suppose second to none. It's it's you know if you look at Ireland now compared to 15 or 20 years ago i think it's 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 a fantastic place I really do
0: yeah absolutely i I always kind of remember that episode of the simpsons where they go to ireland and saint patrick's day you couldn't get more stereotypical if you tried but they get out of the airport in the taxi and all they see is tech companies everywhere and they're like this isn't the way grandpa simpson remembered uh, ireland back in his youth you know it's it's very much i think that uh, the crack really speaks to our sense of fun and um, not taking ourselves too seriously. And yeah. uh, we actually manage to get all the work done. And, um, but we have a bit of fun along the journey. So that's kind of what it means to me if you'd share that. sense, yeah, And I think, I think like it's, 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 it's pretty reflective in that Irish people seem to
1: be welcomed in or we're very welcoming wherever we go. Right. Um, like, you know, I've, I've traveled a lot around the world and everywhere I go, you know, you're, you're always sort of greeted with, uh, you know they they, they say that our Irish are very welcome. I actually
0: think it's, it it nearly goes the other way around. The people are very welcome to Irish people. That's um, good, that's which is good. great. You know? um, yeah. I mean, you you might say it's because we haven't invaded anyone, and um, that's kind of why <laughs> 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 we haven't really pissed anyone off from a global perspective. Um, very good. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's kind of been sort of the sentiment, as it were, about them. Um, look, I really want to thank you, uh, Michael Cronin of Cronin and Company Accountants, today for sharing. Not at all.
1: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the, the conversation. I hope I uh, kind of gave you, uh, uh, touched upon a couple of insights for you guys. And was uh, yeah, anything okay.
0: else? There? Very much so. No, and I appreciate all the uh, value you gave and, and the stories you told and experience you have around uh, how uh, to get started and, and operate here very successfully. So look, I hope to speak to you again in the future on further, further shows. Excellent. Thanks very much, Ross. Good to talk to you. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.